All right, World Cup racing very nearly didn't happen this weekend in Andorra, thanks to the weather. But eventually we did go racing, so we're here with your Maxxis Tires post-race show for this weekend's racing in Andorra. Maxxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance. It's no surprise then that they've won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup, Downhill and Enduro. No matter where or how you ride, Maxxis has the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. Personally, I'm running the DHR2 Max Terra Double Down on the back of my Enduro bike, paired up with the Asagai Max Grip up front using the slightly lighter XO Plus casing. The downhill bike then has DHR2 front and rear, both with the DH casing and with their super grippy Max Grip compound. Both setups are working awesome for me. You can check out the entire range of Maxxis tyres over at maxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxxis Bike. Alright, the racing in Valnord was as wild as the weather and the riders put on an incredible show. Let's dig into what went on. Who excelled, who struggled, how much did the weather impact the results and much more. So without further ado, I'm joined by Nico Malali and Ollie Morris for our Maxxis tyres post-race show for the 2023 Valnord World Cup. Okay, well, Andorra uh, nearly was the race that wasn't. Um, we've had some pretty insane weather through the valley over the weekend, um, but luckily we did go racing and there's plenty to talk about. So I'm joined, as always, by Nico Malali and Ollie Morris. Um, Nico, we'll start with you. You, um, you came over to Europe for World Champs uh, and then headed back to the US and you've made the decision not to come over for this uh, three races back to back. Just talk us through briefly, like the thinking behind that decision. Yeah, I raced the Worlds at Fort William and was was obviously really excited to be back racing. I made the team for the U.S., so I wanted to go out there and give it a hundred percent. And I learned a lot through the weekend. Um, I learned that I need to put some more muscle on my left leg. Coming back from a broken pelvis, pretty. I'm learning a pretty tough injury to come back from and the muscle doesn't come back as quickly as you lose it. So I, I thought that, you know, if I want to end the season on a positive note at snowshoe and Mount St. Anne, I thought I would be in a better spot to do that. If I was able to train day after day, as a lot of other racers will know, if you go to race every weekend, you're, you're pretty much racing and then recovering. There's not really an opportunity to make progress with training. So, um, if I went to Europe for a month, I would, um, I just wouldn't really have that opportunity to, to get stronger and gain the muscle I need to. So, um, yeah, I pulled the plug on, on doing those races and I think it's the right move. Um, and if I can use this time to just be ready for, for the last couple and end on a positive note, then I think it'll be, uh, a good way to play, play my cards this time. Yeah, and you uh, went to a, a local race yesterday as well, Nico. Hey, to like keep sharp, I guess. Uh, more so, just to ride a different track. I've been riding our downhill track at Rock Creek so much that uh, it's kind of getting bored of riding the same course. So um, yeah, normally like two or three days a week, I'm riding downhill. Sometimes more if I'm testing things for the bike, but um, at least for training. Like normally, there's two days a week of riding and. There was a local race about two hours away, so I thought it'd be just a nice way to go ride a different track. And with other bikes on it, it's better than just being the only one out there. So um, I watched the I watched the World Cup from the chairlift. I watched the women's race from the chairlift on the way up, and then uh, took a break and watched the entire race uh, from the parking lot of the bike park. So that was that was pretty cool. 
<laughs> Good effort, man. And Ollie, you've been uh, managing to find a little bit of time for a family riding holiday, hey? How's that been? Uh, it's been amazing, yeah. the um, <clears throat> We've been out here for a couple of weeks now uh, before I go to Ludenville this week coming. And, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. My son, who's 12, uh, <laughs> we've been... Uh, yeah, he, like, re-reminds me of, like, how being young and playful is the best way to progress your riding so uh he's made me learn a suicide no-hander onto an airbag this week he's made <laughs> me like you know he's like maybe even though i'm a coach he's like really made me really look at myself even though obviously i'd like to hope i'm helping him but um yeah it's been a lovely week so uh but equally looking back to getting back to the team uh, this week in ludenville nice one man well before we um kind of get into the racing this week there was something going on, uh, which I think we should talk about, and that was Adam Brayton Gate. Um, so I guess I should explain the situation um, in case people either weren't aware of it or didn't quite understand what had gone on. So Adam Brayton obviously is uh, effectively like a privateer. He's not on an elite UCI elite recognized team, um, but he's sitting or was sitting 55th in the World Cup overall, which you would think means he gets to go and race the World Cups. Um, but as it turns out, um, the points from uh, semi-finals don't uh, carry across to the UCI ranking. They only give you points in the Mountain Bike World Cup overall standings. So I think it's a 40-point cutoff that you need to be able to race a World Cup unless you're either on an elite team or have a national jersey. And um, the points expire, I think it's after 12 months. So you have to always have 40 points in your locker to be able to go racing. And unfortunately, Adam realised, I think, quite close uh, to this batch of World Cups that he that he had some points that were expiring. He wasn't actually going to be able to race. Um, he went out to Euro Champs, I think, to try and get some, but ended up flatting and uh, meant that he couldn't do it, uh, which kind of sucks, right? Like he's 55th in the World Cup overall. You know, he's made every semi-final so far. He's doing it basically, as far as I know, kind of out of the back of a sprinter van um, and making it work. And, you know, he's a fan favourite. A lot of people like to see him ride. And it's it feels kind of wrong that, you know, gee, okay, world champion, but he can turn up after two years away and enter the race because he's on an elite team, has that elite team status. Nico, I'm kind of, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. It feels like it's a, to me, anyway, it feels like the balance in the way the points are being allocated is is a bit off. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. I think almost everyone would agree that there should be an opportunity for Adam to have scored the points to race. Like those semifinal points should be UCI ranking points as well. Um, unfortunately, it just takes like a situation like this to point out the flaws that some people might not see before beforehand um but yeah there's it's it's an interesting situation because there's already i would say too many people at a world cup like they they obviously want less riders there they're trying to make the cut down to 30 for the final a lot of them there's 200 people entering in the elite so it's it just is tough because they want to keep it to a smaller group that should really be there and adam is one of those guys that should but it's hard to define who should and who shouldn't by points because in different countries you have opportunity to score points. Um, you could go to Eastern Europe or South America and score tons of points because there's not as much competition 
for the amount of points that are offered there. Uh, it's been a problem in the U.S. as well. We The only points that you can score at our national champs, we don't have any UCI races that pay enough points to be able to race a World Cup. So it's just an interesting um, situation. And I think that Adam's scenario will, will hopefully help the UCI to clear it up. Um, but I'm, I'm also pretty sure it's not just UCI elite teams. It's, it's UCI teams. So like my team is not an elite team. You have to be top 15 as a team to be an elite team. But if you register as a UCI team, um, and, and I think, I believe you just need two riders, two elite riders to be able to do that or not even elite riders. Like my, my, I registered myself and my little brother who doesn't really do any world cups, um, as, to have two riders on my team and I have a UCI mountain bike team. And I believe that then I can enter the races without needing the 40 points. So there's a lot of loopholes to it. And, um, I, I hope the UCI can figure out a more clear way forward in the future. Yeah, definitely. It'd be good if we can sort out a way, like you say, I understand the need to cut the field down to make these races work, but also riders that have proved their ability to be in the top 60 week in, week out should be able to turn up. Ollie, any thoughts on why Adam maybe wasn't able to get a um, a national jersey? I've heard uh, people say in the past that over a certain age, they don't seem to want to give out national jerseys. And Adam, I guess, is one of the older riders. I mean, he has the nickname Grandad, but... Yeah, and that that does, um, like age is one of the categories that they will look at, but it may well have just been timing more than anything else. Uh, if he hasn't realised until, you know, nearer the event anyway, he may not have been able to register in time. And at that point, the other riders that British Cycling would have given the places to uh, would have already been offered them and have obviously planned their travel. And then maybe a week before British Cycling find out that Adam Brayton uh, didn't have a jersey and didn't have an entry. Um, so I'm sure they would have given him one. I don't think age would have come into account with Adam because obviously the speed he's at. I mean, I think even Petey at the last uh, stages of his career, he got injured and he needed a, a jersey. And uh, so he got one and he was like older than Adam is now. So it, 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 age is, is something they would look at. If Obviously, if there's some young people of the same level as Adam, it would go to the younger rider for sure. But Adam's obviously at a, at a great age. It's a difficult one, isn't it? And just to carry on, really, like a privateer obviously doesn't have the funding, but a privateer needs to do more European races like the Euro <laughs> Champs and a few more, ideally, to top up in points, which obviously costs even more. So it's almost like there's no cheap way, <laughs> you know, you either register as a UCI team, which I think it's three and a half grand, or has it gone up to five grand now for just basic UCI team? And then a lot more for if you're an elite team, uh, or you go and spend like thousands of pounds going to <laughs> European races to get points and go racing anyway. So um, both difficult. And it's been heading this way for an awful long time now, hasn't it? So um, it's not new news, but it's just really unfortunate in his situation. Yeah, fingers crossed that uh, then some things change anyway and, and people that are in a position like Adam are, are able to continue racing at that top level. Let's um, let's turn our attention then to Valnord and to the track. Um, Nico, we'll start with you. You raced there last year in uh, conditions that were, I guess, a lot more favourable from a weather perspective. Um, fairly similar track up top, but some quite significant changes down the bottom. There was a lot of issues or concern last year with safety on the two bridges at the bottom. Um, and as a result, I guess the organizers have taken that on board and put in 
like a whole new lower section of the track, um, which definitely seemed to look like it challenged the riders. Any thoughts on on the work they've done on the track there? I thought it looked great. Um, I think the track itself was a good track last year. The the top was had some pretty big jumps on it, like a really fun section to ride, like awesome as a rider to ride that track. Not too challenging, like all the top guys are going to do it pretty much the same speed. Um, but then into some really high speed, um, rough, like rocky sections in the, in the middle of the track. And then really the gnarliest parts were those bridges because they were made of scaffolding and they were pretty steep coming into them. So it was like big compression. And then the last one obviously had a turn on. I think we, we all heard a lot of riders complaining about that. So it was awesome that they were able to get rid of those, find a good solution that finished on the chairlift side of the road. And it looked like it, like from the head cams and the, the all the coverage online, it looked like it rode really well. Like good technical challenging track, like no huge feature or like make or break section, just like some challenging, pretty steep turns. Um, a lot of rocks and roots coming out as the track broke down. So um, no, it's a good one. I think this, this track, it's fairly short or maybe it feels like, I guess time-wise it was still three minutes or close to it, but it's a track that feels a little bit shorter because it's pretty fast and one line and the top of it isn't so much to separate riders. So, um, it's one that when I've raced it, it feels like the times are always going to be super tight. There's not a ton of line choice. Um, so it's like looking for those fine details to try to separate you. Yeah. Ollie, it looked like it did kind of boil down to a main line, but it seemed that there was some kind of room for maneuvering like around the outskirts of that main line is that kind of how you see it yeah and i remember it last year again it was it was um a track that became difficult because the pure speed you had to go down it with times being tight and with it uh, as nico said they're not being like these massive features kind of thing uh and like crazy high lines or you know like a val de sol type rock garden it didn't didn't really have that stuff so it was just attack, attack, attack. And I don't even like using that word so much when describing downhill runs, but it definitely was one of those tracks that demanded that like uh, that pure speed. And I think that probably showed in, you know, the car, the people that won it this year and the people that won it last year, you know, it's, it is that track where you just got to say, okay, I don't, wouldn't normally ride this fast, like through like such a tight section or, you know, like um, even through a slight technical section, you wouldn't normally ride that fast, but you just have to, you know, it was, um, and yeah, there were some little tweaks on there, but I think when, as you watch the, you know, the the footage back, even the people doing the creative lines, it wasn't, it didn't really pay off. You know, there was a few, I think Dylan Levesque, I remember him trying some great lines in there this year and, um, you know, it looked awesome, but it didn't actually buy him any more time. You know, maybe it made the, the, ride down the track easier i don't know but the um uh yeah didn't buy him the time so it's yeah it's kind of sit in that line and uh see who dare go the fastest yeah and nico it looks like a track that gets pretty physical especially as it gets more and more beaten up throughout the week and, I, and i'm guessing the altitude plays in i heard jackson on his um like track preview saying it was your breathing becomes like challenging pretty quickly into the track because you are so high i think it's the highest start of the year at over 2000 meters is that fair um yeah definitely the altitude plays a effect on it normally it, like last year it was so hot um uh, like a lot of direct sun at the top that no no cover um 
But honestly, there's a few sections in it that you get going pretty fast and can almost tuck. So it didn't feel as physical as, as some of the other tracks, um, especially not as physical as the old Valnord track, which was twice as long and even steeper. So, um, yeah, it's physical in the sense of where it is, but um, the layout of the track gives you a few places to kind of catch your breath in the middle. And uh, the top, like, yeah, I guess you're just riding a huge jump flow trail that you can't really do too much to separate. So um, it makes it feel like the bulk of where you have to attack is in a shorter amount of time. So I didn't feel like it was the most physical track uh, aside from the altitude. Okay, fair play. Let's uh, let's talk a bit about the racing. We'll start with the juniors who uh, I think got the, the better side of the weather this week. Um, we'll start with junior women and um, Aris van Leuven was at it again. Incredible rider to watch on the track. Apparently she was getting mistaken in the week, Ollie, for Valley Hole because, uh, you know, wearing the stripes and also riding with that kind of fast, aggressive, like all-in style. Um, pretty impressive, hey? Like to stick five seconds or more than five seconds into Valentina Roa Sanchez in second and Lisa Boulader in third. A really impressive run. Uh, it was just awesome to watch. Understandable why it was um, the run was sort of um, compared, I guess, to Valley because of how she delivered it. Uh, and I'd say, like, you know, we have to remember how much younger these girls are and how she was still delivering that intensity that uh, she did at this run. Um, it was it was brilliant. I, I kind of thought that she was even going to be even more ahead by the end of the run, just the way she was delivering it. Um, yeah, uh, great to see, great to see intensity, great to see, you know, like not that just that rolling down the hill trying to be safe, but actually like bit between the teeth, I'm going to go and win this thing. You know, uh, it was, it was absolutely awesome. And uh, yeah, she totally deserves that win this weekend. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, Arise is now reeling in Valentina Rosa Sanchez and Lisa Boudadou are just ahead of her in the overall, but definitely hotting up as we hit the halfway point in the season. Um, junior men. So unfortunately we lost Henry Kiffer, our recently crowned world champion with a broken wrist. Uh, this week, which is a shame. He's on good form, um, but the the racing was incredible. Uh, and it was the first uh, World Cup win for a rider who's been putting in some incredible quality performances, but hasn't quite converted. Uh, another US rider, Nico, Ryan Pinkerton. Thoughts on uh, seeing Ryan finally take his first World Cup win? Oh, it's been a long time coming. He's been the fastest guy a few weekends and hasn't just come together for him, which has been a bummer. I know Valdesol, he crashed in his race run. Um, at World Champs, he qualified first, and they get that sight lap before the junior final, and he had a huge crash and hit his head, and um, they just told him he shouldn't ride because he, he may have a concussion. So unfortunate for him um until now and it was just awesome we could see the emotion when he crossed the finish he was just like so happy that he was able to make it happen and yeah he's a really nice kid well deserving and obviously i'm super excited to see the young americans pushing that hard so uh yeah hopefully he can keep this ball rolling and you know he's got a couple more chances this season and still 
quite a few races to go that he can convert to a couple more wins and hopefully carry it into elite next year. Definitely, yeah. And I think there was uh, less than a second splitting the top five in junior men. So Christian Hauser in second, Nathan Pont, Vianne in third, Evan Metcalf in fourth and Bodie Kuhn in fifth. Like Those guys are fast and they're all on a pretty similar pace. It's going to be interesting to see how that progresses. But yeah, Ryan has closed the gap on Bodie Kuhn. He's still leading the junior men's overall. So that's going to be exciting to watch as we uh, go on through the season. But we'll move on to the elite racing and um ollie i think it was this the first race this year where we've had time training i don't remember time training until this race and in terms of formally in the schedule yes it is yeah it was um it's been i think they've sort of tried it in uh, a practice a little bit earlier on in the season but it either never worked or it, it certainly wasn't communicated and there, it was kind of there but not being used or being used a little bit and not working and simple so this was the first time it was actually uh like part of the schedule i think the way they called it they they gave a group b uh training in the afternoon as well and in that it said group b live and then they had group a live and that live is obviously with the timing kind of thing so uh, with that as well, they actually gave um, a 30 second gaps from what I've been hearing. So they actually got a, a clean run because I think earlier on in the year, people were like, well, we've kind of got this time training, but I'm catching somebody up anyway. And so it doesn't really help me as a rider. It doesn't look great to the, you know, the fans and the media. So it was kind of a not really useful for performance and not really useful for like getting excited into build up for the weekend. So, um, yeah, it seemed like this, the addition or this, that's tweak to the schedule worked, um, and gave, you know, got everybody got out of it what they needed, I think. Yeah. Do you think that's a useful thing then on it? It's help helping riders in that process of building towards a race run. Yeah, hugely. Yeah, I, I'm a massive fan of it from you know, in my role. I'm a huge fan of it because it gives you these date po data points where you can say, OK, so this is where that rider is. And each rider has a different, um, uh, call it like journey through time training, quali, now semis and finals. And, and some people need to, like Loris, definitely a couple of years ago, was really good at just going, right, I'm going to be fastest time training, fastest in quali and then hopefully fastest in finals kind of thing. He was very good at doing those three. Other riders wanted a bit more for progressive weekend, like Loic is a bit more kind of like, okay, well, I'm just going to wait and I'm going to peak on the finals. So I think there's different <laughs> sort of, like I say, journeys to that. Um, so yeah, it's really useful for the rider and coach's perspective. Yeah, cool. And at, at one point it looked like the quality results were going to be our final results, but luckily that didn't happen. We will get, we did get some racing, so we won't dwell too much on qualities, but we should say Cami Blanche had a huge crash off that step down road gap where she got kind of taken by the wind. Uh, I think Abby Hoagie maybe had a similar crash, but got off a little bit lighter. The team reported uh, earlier in the weekend that there were no breakages, but she was pretty beat up. So just want to wish you, Cami, all the best for your recovery. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back on track soon. No one likes to see riders out, uh, especially not when it's kind of out of your hands in those sort of situations. So, yeah, heal up, heal up quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, race day and quality day were, were a bit crazy uh, with weather, right? We had this big storm forecast for race day. So the organisers pulled the schedule up super early with practice starting at 7.30 in the morning. 
which meant, I guess, somewhere around a 5 a.m. start for a lot of the riders. It's not the best way to start a race day, I guess, Nico, is it? Not many people are used to getting up at 5 a.m. and catching a gondola up in the dark to get ready to go uh, go ride. Yeah, it's definitely not your normal routine. I think a lot of riders, they like to get into their race day routine and especially if you have something that works for you, you, you feel like you can focus more when you're able to kind of go through your, your check your boxes, do your normal morning routine, get to the truck, do your practice. And that helps you to build to your final run. And when the schedule changes, everything kind of gets turned upside down. But the good thing is that everybody was in the same boat. So everybody who you're competing against is also, had their routine turned upside down. So, um, I don't know. I, I personally always kind of liked it when things were different because it sort of equalized things and threw something different into the mix. But, um, I guess the guys that were, had it down and had their routine polished did definitely don't like that. They want to race, um, as consistently as possible. Yeah. And to add insult to injury, I guess they had that morning practice session in what looked like pretty good conditions. And then just as the women were heading up for their race runs, the heavens opened again uh, and racing was put on hold with an announcement coming around midday. And we did get going again mid-afternoon. We had another, I think, short practice session and then the racing. I'm guessing that's like Nico alluded to, Ollie, that's going to mess with some people's heads, right? You're never, you're not quite sure where you're at. It's like, okay, well, it's go time. Oh, it's not. We're back. And like, trying to keep energized throughout the day must be pretty challenging also i guess pretty tiring yeah from a from a motivation perspective like when it's it's sounding like at one point the race was off you know and i'm sure people were looking at their own weather reports and thinking well based on what i'm seeing it's off as well so you know the riders going through that like mindset of like ah oh, okay we, you know we're done it's fine we'll you know almost settling on that quality result already kind of you know, mentally putting their putting their bike in the back of the truck, you know, like packing up kind of thing. And then suddenly it was like they had that turning point where it was back on. And even at that point, I actually had a call with Brooke, I think, about that point. And he was kind of like, yeah, but Ollie, the wind looks like it's picking up already. So even after they'd agreed that it was going to be back on for the afternoon, uh, there was there was a lot of signs that potentially that was going to be cancelled again. So uh, yeah, you've got like your own, you're assuming what's going to happen. You're, you're trying to judge the weather. You're obviously looking for the UCI and the organizers' updates. Um, so yeah, it's quite tumultuous mentally. It's quite quite a tumultuous like uh, um, time. Um, but as Nico said, it's the riders who can actually say, okay, well, look, we're off the, we're off our normal schedule here. You know, can I still be flexible? and still deliver on a run that's uh where that's going to help isn't it so um yeah certainly made it interesting from both a fan's perspective and i'm sure on site having to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go and either as staff to go and set up or as a rider to get ready uh that day must have been pretty tough yeah there seems to be a lot of instagram posts of riders asleep face down on massage tables and on the floor (laughs) and a long a long day for people obviously not used to being up that long before their race runs let's let's talk about the race and then we'll start with the women's and uh a rider who maybe not had the season that she'd hoped for so far millie millie onset put in a super strong quality in third um didn't quite convert that 
Ollie, but I think that's still her best result of the season in six. So it's kind of cool to see Millie making a push towards that top end again. Yeah, she's had a tough start to the season, hasn't she? Um, which has been a shame. And, you know, obviously she's on Canyon, like a big team. Uh, she's getting the support that she needs. Um, but there's obviously just something hasn't been quite right. I haven't spoken to her or know what's going on, uh, but something just hasn't been kind of, I don't like the word clicking, but just working for her uh, this year. Um, so I'm sure that that quality run to get that third was going to really, really help her confidence. Um, for sure, it would have helped her confidence and um, getting back into that that sort of uh, a pointy end, really, of the female category, and which you know isn't getting any slower. I think that's the other thing. <laughs> it's keep you know they keep pushing it, they keep pushing it. So it's um, you know if if you stand around for too long, they're just going to get away from you. Yeah, it's incredible, hey. And we had three uh, female riders that have been on this kind of recovery journey coming back from injury. And the first of those was uh, Eleonora Farina in fifth place. Ollie, you know Ellie really well, obviously working together with her on the Mondraker team. Um, will she be happy with that after taking Euro champs or would she have wanted even more? Like it's uh, like you say, it's a tough field to, to race in these days. Yeah, there's two sides of it. I think um, she, yes, she'll be happy with that. She's back on the podium. She's in a place like for the team as well, for MS Mondraker. I think, you know, they needed that podium and it was great to see somebody somebody up there. Um, uh, I think though, yes, you're right. She, yeah, she wanted more. She'd made some good changes. She did some great testing uh, in the week before. Uh, I think actually, you know, the week before the Euro champs uh, made some good changes to her bike. Uh, which, as we know, is obviously still in proto. So there's a lot of kind of, you know, ongoing development with the bike. Um, she made those changes. She felt more comfortable um, in where her weight was on the bike. And um, and that's why I think she went out and won the Euro Championship. She won it quite confidently. So when she came to the this one, I think she was, uh, yeah, she, she was hoping for more for sure. But fifth, you can't complain again in that field. And uh, it's a season starter for her, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it would be good to see where she goes next with it. Definitely, yeah. And Nico, the other two riders in that mix coming back from injury, Tani Seagrave and Marine Cabarou in third and fourth. Looks like both of those riders back on the sort of form that we expect. Both looked super good on track um, all throughout the week. I, I heard Marine say she made some mistakes in her race run and maybe wasn't super stoked on it, but was was ultimately happy with where she ended up. It's cool to see both those riders back. Yeah, definitely. Like like you said, for both of them, um, I, Marine's been every race building or consistently right there on the podium. So that's got to be confidence for her um, going to the last part of the season. And then um, the next two races in France too, so she'll be stoked with that. And uh, how cool is it to see Tani back on the podium? I know she's had such a rough uh, past year or two, so um, yeah, third place is like solidly on the podium, and uh, she must have been so happy with that. Yeah, very good stuff to see them back. And then second place, uh, Valley Hole on maybe not quite the form we're used to. The only rider I think that went slower. Uh, than her qualifying time not by a huge amount but she was slower when the average improvement for the top 10 women was 5.52 seconds so most people were finding five seconds value lost a little bit she talked into in some post-race interviews ollie about kind of struggling with the the day a little bit feeling quite fatigued like it being a, 
a long day. And maybe that shows in a split, she was kind of up there, but then eighth in the final split was, I guess, the, the final nail in the coffin to, to put her. But it, you know, it, having said that, she's still second, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The better you do, the better everyone expects you to do, don't they? So I guess the yeah. the fact that she's winning pretty much everything at the moment uh, is meaning that we're almost like, oh, all right, second, you know, like not not good enough kind of thing. When it totally is, isn't it? But you're right. She was she was fastest at sector two, uh, only by a little bit on Nina because Nina was so strong on that first uh, sector with the the big jumps and berms at the top. Um, so yeah, uh, Valley was fastest there and then just slowly just, it, it, I didn't see necessarily any major mistakes. It seemed like it was almost just creeping, uh, slightly back on, uh, her speed, her track speed on those final sectors. Um, and if she's, yeah, by the sounds of it, if she's sort of saying that, yeah, potentially the long day, uh, was, uh, impacting her there, then it could be the, be the case, but, um, like you say, can't complain. Second place and still, <laughs> still leading the overall, right? <laughs> yeah, not not the worst of days out. And Ollie, you, you mentioned before we hopped online that you've been riding with uh, Nina in the last couple of weeks. Tell us a little bit about that and like where she's at because feels like she's been like this constant threat throughout the season. It hasn't quite gone her way, but obviously this week was a bit different. Yeah, she's you know she had a tough time at the champs, didn't she? For sure, with like all the crashing and stuff like that. It seemed like it was. It's a difficult weekend away in Scotland for her, I think. Um, and yeah, and I think she was like starting to get that like, ah, I haven't won one this year, you know. And and I think, again, this this expectation setting thing, isn't it, that everyone does as much as we <laughs> riders get uh, advised maybe to sort of lower expectations and raise your dreams at the end of the day. You know, they're there, they want to win, their sponsors around them, obviously, need them to win or want them to win they have a lot of uh, whether it be self-pressure or pressure around them so um but yeah seeing her bumped into her uh, in Morzine this week actually just before she they were driving down uh, to Andorra and did a did a day's riding with her and um super impressed like and, and I have to say like I've obviously had experience now riding with her and and obviously loads with Ellie and the bravery, I would say, out of those women and and Nina showing it again this weekend in Morzine is insane. Like they're just like there was no no question of what we were going to ride. If it was steep, if it was technical, if it was whatever, she didn't even know a lot of the tracks. She was just like, "Yep, let's go and ride that one." Off you go, like straight in with commitment. Um, she's obviously very strong physically, so she can like deal with the, if it starts going a little bit wrong. Um, but yeah, just a, a, a real good attitude towards, um, or should I say commitment towards going fast. So um, yeah, not surprised to see her winning and um, yeah, pushing pushing Valley. So I guess next week it's going to be even, uh, you know, the battle commences again. <laughs> the friendly battle, but the battle commences again. Yeah, definitely. And she looks so stoked on the podium. Like feels like that's been a win that's been uh, bubbling under and not coming to the surface until this weekend. So, yeah. yeah. And again, we see riders when they get that win and the confidence tips in, Nico, it can can make a real difference, hey? Like just that one win can tip them into feeling and approaching weekends differently and, and the results kind of starting to go in their favour. Yeah, I mean, we saw that with Valley, how, how the momentum got rolling and maybe we'll see that with um, Nina now and uh, if anything it's going to be exciting racing to watch these last couple of rounds 
Definitely, definitely, man. Well, let's uh, move on. Oh, before we move on to the men's, I guess we should uh, also give a quick shout out to Louisiana Ferguson in seventh there, backing up a solid result from uh, world champs as well. So it's good to see her, you know, consistently sitting inside that that top 10, an exciting rider to watch and uh, looked lit towards the bottom end of the track as well. So excited to see more from Louisiana as the season progresses. So yeah, we'll move on to the men's and it, it was, I think, Win phrased it in Win TV as a race of two thirds. We didn't quite really get a full race under fair conditions. Like the rain definitely um, played a role as it has to some extent in quite a lot of the racing this season. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of uh, finals sessions that have had some amount of uh, impact from the rain, but it's a mountain sport. These things happen. And I think, Nico, as you've alluded to, in the past on here sometimes that goes in your favor and sometimes it doesn't and maybe that over time kind of evens out but it was definitely a bit of pill to swallow um for some of the riders this this weekend but some some great performances and some some strong performances from riders that maybe we uh, haven't seen up there for a while or haven't seen up in the top end uh yet one of the riders that i guess stood out was uh ollie davies riding for union in uh 11th He's brought Alan Millway on board this season, I think, um, Nico. How how much difference can like having a coach that you really trust and put your faith in make to you, do you think? Is that can that be the difference? I think especially for a young rider coming up, just getting into um a routine where you're you're training, you're accountable, you um know what you're doing every day, you don't wake up and think about what ride you want to do, what gym training you want to do um you just get a calendar with the work that you're supposed to do and you and you just you plan your day as that's your job to get your training done and i think just like building that accountability and that structure for a young rider um once you can log week after week of of doing that and then now we're getting towards the end of the season he's got a couple of months under his belt of it it just it all starts to come together and that's probably more than actually the effects of the physical training. Um, it's it's just the whole structure and organization that kind of makes you into a more mature rider. Yeah, that makes sense. And we uh, some other young riders uh, finding their way into the top 10. So Oshino Callahan in ninth. Uh, he feels like he's really been building this season and it's cool to see him back up there. Luke Meyersmith, Ollie, that was his first uh, downhill World Cup of the year after breaking his collarbone earlier in the season. Pretty impressive to see Luke straight back on the pace eh, in eighth. Yeah, really impressive. Uh, he was flying here last year as well, wasn't he? So he's uh, he clearly has something he like quite likes about the, the track. Um, and uh, yeah, it seems like riders like him, it's kind of like almost time off the bike just doesn't seem to bother him does it he just clicks back in to go and the speed he goes and uh and, and that is what it is it's uh it's cool to see yeah straight back into it and it's worth probably saying i think with these guys you know these names you just said like they would have had a great result even even if the weather was fair for everybody yeah okay it yeah. might not have been quite as good as it as it as it was but you have to look at the names they were beating um, who had the same conditions as them or similar conditions of as them? Um, so yeah, okay, sure. You know your Brunis and and Loris and a few of those guys. Yeah, they may well have been ahead, but you know Ollie, O'Sheen, Luke. These guys would have still been in that in that like top twenty or in a in a really solid result. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fair point. Another uh, another young rider coming back from injury that he picked up in Leergang, Ethan Craig in sixth. Ollie, a rider that you know from the UK scene pretty well. Like, seems to be again just chipping away, getting the work done, like quite quietly. But when when he's on form, the race results are impressive. Eh? Yeah, he took the word out of my mouth very quietly. Just gets on with the job in hand, doesn't he? Kind of thing, and uh, uh, doesn't live near the, any really large hills. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, I think he, I remember he, like way back in the day in junior and youth and stuff, he used to post times like in Rogate and these sort of small hills that like were the same as like Bernard Kerr's and, and, and those guys. So he's, he's shown that he's had the speed. Um, but I think you have to remember it. Yeah, we have some riders like Jordan and Jackson that do enter elite and I mean, <laughs> very few, but enter and even start winning like those guys. But You've got to remember it it does take normally a normal career it takes a few years to settle into the elite group you know even Finn Isles you know he's uh been around for so long it seems now and you know it's it's taken until this year and the last couple of years where he's really showing his uh showing his speed showing his maturity showing the whole kind of race craft package um so yeah and Ethan's another one of these you know as uh, as he's great getting older as he's getting the right support um uh, along with the amount of talent he's 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 already got and already had, um, it's coming together really well for him. Yeah, it's good to see. Nico, let's talk about some of these podium riders. And uh, in fourth place, Antoine Vidal, his first ever uh, downhill World Cup podium, a rider with uh, an exciting and kind of loose, I would say, style, like almost similar maybe to Thibaut de Prella when they're when they're pushing. Um, yeah, cool to see Antoine uh, take. That fourth place, he seems to be focusing maybe a bit more on downhill this year. In the past, he's done a bit of enduro as well. Yeah, for sure. He uh, he definitely has that aggressive style where he goes all in. His runs are exciting to watch. It look, it, he always hangs on to him. You don't normally see a big wreck from him, but he uh, he looks from the from the computer screen. He looks out of control. But uh, no, I was surprised honestly that that was his first podium. When I read that, I thought he'd had one in the past or two i don't know he's just the speed he goes i was i was like oh that is that his first one so um yeah good for him i'm sure it won't be the last and uh another another one of the frenchies that'll be excited for the next two races yeah yeah watch this space for uh for more from anton go on ollie you said so i was just gonna say you said about his speed i was just looking his, his speed trap he was fastest through the speed trap was 61.473 uh k's an hour um, which if you compared that to, say, uh, Finn, who was just one place ahead of him, Finn was 56.6. <laughs> so, like, considerable speed through the speed trap. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't ride with fear, does he? You know, he's, uh, and as Nico rightly said, he gets away with it. And that speed trap, too, is a trail. Like, the one at Mount St. Anne is down the ski slope, and this one's on a single track. So it's pretty gnarly to be going that fast <laughs> on this track. <laughs> It's pretty ridiculous. So yeah, his first uh, World Cup elite podium stood next to a man on the podium who took his 85th World Cup downhill podium this weekend, Greg Minar, uh, a local to Val Nord as well. So he had a lot of support out there. Greg Minar, he's had a rough season so far. 
Um, there were some changes in the setup at the syndicate, I think. So he had Tom Duncan as a mechanic this weekend. Um, not sure if that made any impact or whether it was just like something they decided to switch up. Um, but yeah, again, he looked good all weekend, Ollie. Hey, like good time training, clearly had the pace, looked comfortable on the bike. And uh, yeah, was so close to taking the win. To be fair, he looked, I have to say, even during Fort William, it was like Greg's back. You know, when we were watching at Fort William, I was like, oh my God, he can't win another one. You know, like, not, <laughs> not in any bad way, but just thinking like, you know, like at what age do you, should you stop winning world championships? You know, like it's getting to that point now, isn't it? And um, uh, and to be only, yeah, point one off the win this weekend uh it was insane uh you know he's he's clearly back i don't know if anything probably having a different mechanic might have been a bit almost harder for him like to just roll straight into that situation um this weekend so that's something to you know change how he's communicating how they're working together like i don't i i almost don't think that would have been a benefit to be honest like straight away yeah um because of the relationship side of things even though obviously he already knows tom um, but yeah, to be point one off the win, I'd love to speak to him and see whether he's like a happy he's got his po- a podium again and happy he's shown the sort of winning speeds, uh, or whether he's a little bit gutted that maybe point one he'd have done it. Oh, Nico, have you already spoken to him? Uh, no, no, I just I I watched in the in the interview after the race. He said, you know, it's it's really nice to be on the podium, but when a guy twenty years younger than you comes in point one of a second faster, it's hard to hard pill to take. <laughs> Um, but, but just watching his run, he looked so good on the bike this weekend. And like in sections, he just visibly carried much more speed than any of the other riders. There was like where it started with a new section and they hit the big open turn that Colby crashed in when it started raining, um, into the, into the right berm. And then over that triple thing, like Greg's speed that he was able to carry around that turn and across the flat was, was visibly faster than all the other riders. So, um, it was, it was awesome to see Greg like playing to his strengths and able to capitalize on the stuff that he always has been in the past, um, after such a rough season to turn it around and, and make it happen again. You know, you know, we're, we're speaking about Greg quite a lot here and I think it's worth carrying on cause I, I'm absolutely hearing you there, Nico, how he is where he picks up his speed like where he he, it's almost turned into this kind of the old school approach of Greg Menard let's put Steve Pete in this category as well that they they know where to pick up that speed so you saw Greg come across that piste and put in some very clear pedal strokes just on a piste where other people weren't pedaling because he knew that that speed he was gathering was going to give him so much more as long as you could handle it but so much more speed into that next kind of wood section whereas it seems like the newer approach of ride the, the, the younger riders coming through as we've already mentioned Vidal and as we're about to speak about um, in Deprella, like the newer approach is just uh, I don't want to say gung-ho but <laughs> it's definitely more wild isn't it and just sort of dealing with the speed that you've already got rather than Greg knows exactly where, how to carry the speed and where to carry that speed. And it almost looks a lot easier. Like if you were, if you were from the outside, you say if I was the, had to sit on the back of one of those bikes, I think I'd rather sit on the back of Greg's bike for the ride down than I would maybe De Prellas or Vidal's in terms of you'd feel safer. 
Um, so I think it's really interesting. It's definitely two, I mean, there's many different ways to get down the hill. On that theme of, um, of average speed, I guess, I think it's someone, someone else that made that work for them this weekend was Finn Isles. I don't think maybe he was like super stoked on his riding or on his run. And uh, if you look at the sector rankings, he was Sorry. eighth, third, 13th, 32nd yep, and ninth, which doesn't sound like something that's necessarily going to put you in yeah, third place overall. I don't know why it dropped then, he obviously just Apologies. kept a good average speed down the track, nothing too wild, nothing too crazy, slots himself into third place. And um, that gives him the, uh, the overall leader's jersey after Jackson suffering uh, both from the conditions and then a, I guess, relatively unfortunate puncture. But I mean, it was a, it was his own mistake that he made. I guess like casing hard onto that route near the bottom of the track, Nico. It's um, yeah, it's a big, big shift for Finn up into to the leaders' jersey for the first time, I believe, in his elite career. Yeah, he um, he definitely capitalized on it this weekend. I think he in the sectors where there was more time to be had were the ones that he was a little higher. Um, like probably the sector that was 32nd place, he wasn't that far back time-wise. It's just a tight sector where all the fast riders are able to ride the same. Um, but one question I had for for you guys was, do you know, did they combine the points from the semi and the final and, and pay them all to the final? It looks like, uh, from looking at the, the individual standings, that they only scored finals points. So Finn did not like get extra points. He didn't like get semi points kind of added in basically. They just did finals points. Yeah. So good. See, yeah. Finn was able to capitalize on it. Um, maybe got a little luck from the weather, but uh, nothing that was out of the ordinary points wise. So well-deserved that he's got the leader's jersey. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And it, it could have been worse, I guess, for, some of the other riders that suffered from the weather had the semi-finals points somehow been added into that points tally. So probably feels on balance like like the right decision. So yeah, let's talk about Thibaut Duprella then, Nico. Um, yeah, another like aggressive, um, fast run from Thibaut. Great to watch, but I think even the commentators thought it was done uh, towards the bottom end of the track as he as he drifted back and Greg was ahead of him. Um, but he did something pretty special in the the final split, which in fact was won by Mark Wallace. But um, Thibaut did uh, did the real damage on Greg in that in that sector five. Yeah, I mean visually you could see the aggression all the way to the finish line, just the amount of pedal strokes that he threw in after the last jump, even. Um, but yeah, it was funny watching that race because there was a lot of guys that were up or in touch coming into a uh, green coming into the last split, and then they'd go seventh or eighth or it was like Troy, Luca, they all had kind of a little, I don't know. They just gave up not much time, but a lot of spots. And, uh, Thibaut did the opposite. He, he looked like he was drifting back on Greg and then went ahead into the hot seat at exactly the right time because, uh, the weather quickly changed at, like after he came down, but, um, no, nonetheless, like he had no control over that. He, he earned it. He put down an awesome run. Um, he's no shortage, no shortage of aggression in his riding. And I think it was pretty cool. He probably felt proud of that with, um, most of his team being out. He's like, aside from Hugo, the junior rider, he's the only one in the team and it's the home race for common Saul. And, kind of 
a little bit, I'm sure he takes like positive motivation from it all being on, on his shoulders and delivering the win was like, you can't get better than that. So uh, huge congrats to Tebow. That was a, an awesome victory. It definitely was. Yeah. Impressive to see. And also shout out to Bernard Kerr in fifth. Like he's uh, shown again, promise all season hasn't quite come together for him. So cool to see him take that, that final spot on the podium. I'm sure he's pretty stoked with that. Um, but yeah, for the last few riders down the hill, I mean, I think Finn got the start of that weather and it, he probably could have gone a bit faster without it. You see the gap from, uh, from, from him, like, and Greg and Tebow, like he's a couple of seconds off that pace. Um, but yeah, impressive run by Finn in the wet, but, uh, yeah, Ollie, I'm interested to see who you think did, uh, did really well or didn't do so well in those wet conditions. Cause there was definitely, it seemed to be a bit of a split in approach. Some riders that, uh, looked like they felt like could maybe still win it and other riders who maybe just like throttled it back and got down the hill relatively safely. Like who stood out, Ollie? Yeah. Um, I think, you saw, say, Danny Hart for a prime example. Like he came in, you know, he, I think he came out the gate swinging, and I think he soon realised that those conditions were either not safe or not safe to push to the level they've been pushing at all weekend long. So um, you definitely saw him kind of uh, wind in. Maybe that's his age and maturity telling him that, because you know, in, in reality, you weren't going to win it in those conditions. You know, like in those conditions for those top those last few anyway. Um, so and he knew that, and I think he backed it, backed it off, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, for sure. And as we've already said, I mean, Finn uh, uh, got to give him credit in in the conditions he rode in, uh, uh, delivered an amazing run. Um, yeah, a, a slight side note to be fair to that question, Chris. And, and I was just looking a little bit more detail at the results there, but the juniors would have come in, junior men would have come in the top ten. The like Ryan would have come eighth or ninth uh, depending on the splits there yeah i think eighth in the men's so we've got to remember and there was a two or three juniors all on a similar sort of time weren't they so i think we could you know we we'd spoke a lot last year or you know generally as fans and people in the industry spoke a lot when we saw jordan and jackson doing it but um we've got more juniors doing it again <laughs> you know like it, it may, was it a freak year was jackson and jordan a freak year or, or is this the new normal that we're going to send up like top 10 junior riders every single week so yes uh, sorry i sidelined slightly there i was just on another path of just thinking how fast these juniors what like ryan like chris um are that are coming through you know we uh, watch out <laughs> Yeah, true. I guess it depends. Like we never got to see kind of Cole, Jackson, Loic, Loris. We like we didn't get to see those guys fully throw down. Um, and we've had this in the past at races where you're like, this time's incredible. It can't be beat. And then one of those guys just does something like breaks physics and does something insane and, and comes down and puts a couple of seconds into everyone. So I guess we don't really know where you know, where the pace was. There was, there's definitely a few riders that stood out. I mean, Cole for saving that slide near the top, uh, deserves a medal. And he, he seems to be making going very fast, look pretty effortless, uh, at the moment. He's definitely, uh, on good form, but I thought Benoit Coulange and, and Loic's run, Nico, I don't know what you think about him, but I thought 
obviously if Benoit had made it to the bottom on that pace would have been super impressive and and Loic in 22nd like again he's minimized the the potential damage there I thought both those runs were were pretty impressive con- considering the conditions and the amount of risk that they were having to take yeah I totally agree um those were the two standouts for me and Loic by far the most um when when Andy Kolb dropped in that was like the indication that okay nobody's winning this race nobody's going to be able to challenge Tebow the slide that he had in the top that was like the first indication of how slippery the track was and it was like yeah you can also even look on I think it was Loris's or the Trek Factory Racing Instagram they posted a video of of the start of of his run and how bad the wind is blowing at the top and the amount of rain that's coming down gives you some perspective of how gnarly it was up there. So with, with all that, like a lot of riders were kind of in the mindset of like, well, let's just salvage some points, what we can. And like, we're racing again in a week. So I'm not going to go out there and have a huge crash today. Like my best move is just to try to salvage. And it looked like Loic actually went for it where he could and, for how close he was in the top section with how windy and rainy it was up there out in the open, a lot of rain hitting the track directly was, was incredibly impressive. He was like less than a second off in the first minute, um, with much more difficult conditions. And like, even when they had that drone shot following him, you can see how much the bike is sliding and how committed he is. So I was really impressed with Loic's run. Um, Benoit as well, but uh, unfortunately, he clipped that tree. It was good to see him get back on the bike, and it seems like he's not really injured. But um, yeah, a lot of frustration from Loic. I saw in the like the rider, the rider group text, Loic not being stoked on the way that uh, maybe they knew that the rain was coming and they ran the race anyway, and they they made them do the 30 minute practice without that 30 minute practice they probably could have avoided the rain for the last 10 guys um and it's always so hard and i know loic's probably pretty emotional about it <laughs> any rider is is at, at the night after the race um but it's it's a race in the mountains there's like it's so hard to predict the weather there's so much money into the tv broadcast to try to move things around is not always the most quick and uh quick thing to do um but he he definitely wasn't very happy about um seeing the 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 lead get further away and with the effort that he put in was obviously like a a winning effort he did everything right and it wasn't really up to him um but from my side like the results kind of look like maybe add 10 places to whatever position the guys were because it, it was like roughly the last 10 to 12 guys that it wasn't really possible to to push for the positions they wanted anymore. Yeah, yeah, fair play to Lowe. That was, a, a, again, a champion's run, but it feels like he's really having to chase it this season. Maybe he'll get some luck going this way. Ollie, another rider that didn't didn't look uh, quite right was Jordan Williams. So Jordan had a, a you know really good qualifying. He's up there in the top five. A rider that, you know, normally is kind of all guns blazing, but has shown up maybe a what feels like a really calculated side to him this year it looked like he he kind of throttled back uh, I mean still an incredible pace down the hill but 60th place for him I don't know if he made a mistake or got spooked off camera but or do you think maybe he did just kind of realize that it wasn't winnable and and take the safe option yeah I mean it, it, you're kind of making a, a split decision um 
a decision like straight away aren't you like it, you're coming into the track you don't know the conditions you hit, obviously you can see what's coming from the sky but you don't know the, the conditions of the track and yes there's certain points where you're like oh okay hold on a minute you know that bike isn't slowing down when I'm braking very well here or I'm losing a bit of attraction in in a corner there and that's the that's where it's telling you okay so well what do you do next do you go for it risk a crash you know like maybe Kolb or someone he gave you know gave it his all unfortunately went down and then obviously he's you know pretty much got no points out of the weekend or do you say okay hold on a minute let me see let me just rein it in a little bit see if I can still get some sort of result top up a few points understand that it's not winnable uh and go from there we've all seen these runs though in over the years haven't we where you know uh Gwyn at Monster Anne or whatever you know and he's come down in the wet and he's and it's been seriously wetter than everybody else and he's gone and, and won the event and so I think you know you've got to try and judge it on the weekend it did seem like the sort of track where there was no hope of that, that happening so possibly a very wise decision uh, of Jordan um uh, to do that I think this weekend yeah, fair play. Well, let's uh, just quickly touch on the overall. So we've got uh, Finn leading from Jackson. Tebow, big move up from seventh to third. Then Loris, Loic, uh, and Andy Kolb. So, you know, pretty solid performance from Loic, given the conditions to, to stay in the mix. But, yeah, he is having to chase it hard this year. And then in the women's, it's uh, Valley Hole, Cami Balanche, who I'm assuming will miss one or two races, considering we're... Uh, got two more weekends back to back and she's obviously pretty pretty beaten up uh, Nina in third Marine in fourth so it'd be interesting to see how that that changes but yeah halfway through the season things are starting to hot up um, looking forward to a few more races back to back and then over to North America for the last two races of the season um, but before we wrap up today we should do uh, our lit kit award um, Nico we'll uh, go to you first I like Greg Menard in that uh, salmon-colored kit. I wrote on his on his uh, picture that he looked like the Peach Panther. <laughs> he looked good out there. It was a, yeah, it was a very cool kit. It was a good effort. Uh, Ollie, what about you? Uh, I'm gonna go Tane. I think her kit looked insane, and uh, the minute she left the start gate, my stepson was like, "Show, wow, <laughs> what awesome kit!" So I was like, "Oh, I remember that for the yeah, for the podcast later." So yeah, uh, did look good. Um, she, you know, she has a she often you know, delivers on something pretty special, doesn't she? And I think she did in Andorra. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, that was definitely well up there in my choice. I thought the the match with the bike as well looks super good. Um, but yeah, I kind of it's maybe a bit more low key, but I quite like that digital camo vibe that uh, on the Canyon Factory Racing Troy Lee kit. I thought that actually was just a bit different and looked kind of cool. Uh, I think it's the best kit I've seen those those uh, lot in this season. So yeah, it was cool to see. But yeah, Greg's and Tani's kit also very very solid efforts so yeah thanks guys it's been uh, a pleasure sitting down chatting about it it was a pretty wild week of racing in the end but i think varanor did, did deliver just a shame we didn't quite get everyone down in the same conditions but fingers crossed uh for leading this coming weekend and leisure the weekend after that and yeah plenty of racing for the race fans so yeah thanks guys appreciate it cheers guys yeah thanks a lot we'll see you guys next week for another one Alright, that's it for this Max's Tyres post-race show with Nico and Ollie.
I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to Maxis for supporting this season. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. Here are a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like copies of our lovely print project in collaboration with Miss Spent Summer's Downtime EP. If you want to help support the show, then you can set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today, but until next time... Get out and ride.